We're Word and the Spirit people. People love the Word. People empowered and rejoicing in the presence of God the Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to look at two verses this morning, but we're, we're going to look at the same two verses again next week. There's a lot to unpack here. Well, why don't we again just uh, pray and ask God to continue to grow his church? One of the things that you can pray about uh, now as we get into the fall and people start coming back from vacations and we continue to grow, uh, we're going to need a new building. And we ask the Lord that he would provide in a miraculous way for that. We need a, a different facility where kids are not on top of one another in, in the basement and, and so on and so forth. So we just need to ask God's provision for that. Why don't we just ask the Lord to bless our time in the word. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, as we look at these two verses for this week and next week, God, we ask you that you would prepare our hearts uh, to what you have for us this morning. God, we ask you that you would break us and change us and make us like Christ. We ask you, O Lord, that we would recognize that truth, that he whom the Son has set free is truly is free indeed. God, we ask you that we would not grow weary in well-doing. We pray that you would relight our flame, that we might worship you at greater depths and levels, O oh God, and we might see your glory. Manifest yourself among us, we pray. Manifest yourself among us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're looking at the dawn of a new era. John the Baptist has been preaching, and he's been saying, Christ, the one who is the Messiah, is coming we have said that he's right around the corner, that he is about to make his appearance. He's right there. And now in these two verses in our text this morning, Christ actually comes. The ministry of John the Baptist has been taking place. He has been preaching. He's been preaching repentance. He's been preaching about sin. He's been talking about baptism. He's been talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And now there's a shift and the ministry of John the Baptist is going away, and now we are seeing now the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ as Jesus begins now in his public ministry. He now takes center stage of what is going on here. But before we move on, let's take one last look at John as he shows us Jesus. Let's linger for just another moment here. Let's not go too quickly. It's as if we could just go through this verse and, and miss so much of what God might have for us here in these two verses. If you've ever said goodbye to someone that you deeply love and you're saying your goodbyes and as you depart, you take that one last look over your shoulder to see them and to wave at them as they're going off into the distance. And that's what we're doing here with John the Baptist. We're taking one last look. If you go with me to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, that's interesting. How quick do we get into that? 
I mean, here John's been preaching, he's been preaching, you know, repent, believe, and dunking people in water, things seem to be going well. We get to this verse, and all of a sudden, the next thing we read about John the Baptist is he's now in, in prison. What's going on with that? In fact, as we keep reading here, now after John was arrested, and Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. John has been preaching, and then Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is now here. It's among you. That's what he's going to teach. The kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ has now come. But if there's a telltale sign about this kind of kingdom, it's in the fact that John here is put in prison. What kind of kingdom are we talking about when the king shows up and his subjects, the greatest subject that we have seen up until this point, is now all of a sudden put in prison? This is a sign to tell us what this kind of kingdom is going to be like. This isn't a kingdom where Jesus Christ is going to come in with a sword and a bunch of horses and overthrow the Roman Empire, far from it. This is a kingdom where his subjects are going to suffer. This is a different kind of rule. This is a different kind of reign. If you want to be in this kingdom, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you very dearly. You want to follow this king. It's not riches and everything is glamorous and everything is wonderful. If you want to be in this kingdom, it's a call to suffer. It's a call to die to yourself. It's a call to prison. It's a call to laying yourself down and laying your wishes and your desires down at the feet of Jesus and saying, you're Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. If we could have a theme here this morning about Jesus, it's Jesus is the king. He's the sovereign ruling one over every person, and some people recognize his authority, some people recognize his kingship, and others don't. And there might be some in this room this morning, and you're struggling with the kingship of Christ. Let me be very clear this morning. When you came to Jesus Christ, you did not just come to him to just say, forgive me of my sins, now do I get a ticket to heaven? When you came to Jesus Christ, you came to him as the king, if you truly came. And the king demands that you be his subject, and he demands, he doesn't suggest, he doesn't simply say, I hope you're going to do this, but the, com the king commands our complete obedience to him. And there is no greater joy. There's no greater joy. And if we're right here this morning, that there are those who have come in this morning who said, yes, Lord, I really want you. I really want you. I want to follow after you. 
but you know in your heart of hearts that there are things in your life this morning that you're not laying down before him. Listen, because you won't bow the knee. You're not willing. You're willing to do a lot of things. You're willing to come to church on occasion. You're willing to talk in spiritual platitudes. You're willing to say some prayers and perhaps read nice verses. But when it comes to Jesus Christ being king, you're saying, Lord, I'll follow you, but like the rich young ruler, I'm not really going to give it up. I really can't do that. And let me say this morning that if you're going to follow Christ, it's all or nothing. And I would just start out this morning by asking you, what is it in your life where you're saying, Jesus, I really think you're attractive. I really think you're beautiful. I really think you're, you're Lord like you say you are. I understand you're the king. But I, I just, there's something in my life right now that I can't, I can't, I can't let it go. I can't. I can't bow my knee. Because I realize like John the Baptist, if I begin to proclaim your message, if I actually say I'm going to follow you, if I actually say that I'm going to be a Christ follower, someone who has been transformed from the inside, it's going to cost me something great. And it costs John the Baptist something great. What in your life this morning is the Lord saying, lay down before me as the king. And if you lay it down, he'll pick you back up and give you more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. Well, Jesus was preaching this message and this message that John also had cost John something. It cost him to the point of where he had to go to prison for what he said. Now, we're not going to look in detail at what he did and said because uh, we're going to get to it in Mark chapter 6. And Mark chapter 6 is really a flashback into John the Baptist's life. So we're going to get to it there. But let's just say this morning that what John the Baptist did was he went to Herod. Now, there were a number of Herods in the Bible. You're going to see the Herod uh, when Jesus was born. You're going to see Herod there. You're going to see a, a Herod in Mark chapter 6 and uh, other places. There's six different Herods, and uh, they all have the same family name. And we'll get into details as to how this family works out. But there was this one Herod who was in charge of the region of Galilee. And John the Baptist came to him and he confronted him. This is not Herod the Great. This is one of his sons. And John the Baptist came to Herod and he rebuked him. In fact, he rebuked him intensely. And what he said is this. You can't steal your brother's wife. That's like a big deal, right? So he comes to Herod. Herod is... Uh, this is Herod Antipas, and he's looking over at his brother, Philip, Philip I, and he's saying, man, I like his wife. 
Now, here's how crazy this family was, this family of, of Herod's. This wife was both of these Herod's niece. So the first Herod married his niece. You want to talk about an incestuous family. This first Herod married his niece, and his brother's looking at him and going, man, I'd like to have his wife also my niece. That's incest. That's like really bad. And John comes to him and says, dude, look, you can't have your brother's wife. Not only can you not have your brother's wife, but according to Leviticus, you shouldn't be messing around with your niece. Your brother shouldn't have been messing around with his niece. Now you guys are going to end up being married to the same woman, this, this woman who's in your family. And by, this, by the way, this, this family was used to persecute Jesus. This family was used to persecute John the Baptist. This family was used to persecute the apostles. This is an extended family that we're going to see as we, as we go through. And because of his message to Herod Antipas, Herod said, look, I'm not going to tolerate. You can't tell me who I can marry and who I can't marry. It's none of your business. And so he decided to throw John the Baptist in prison. This is what we're talking about this morning. You follow Jesus and you start saying Jesus-like things, it's going to cost you. This is, a different kind of, this is a different kind of kingdom. It comes with a message of offense. It comes with a message that's going to stir up things. And that's what is going on here. John the Baptist, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the message of Jesus Christ, is definitely stirring up things. We see from this here that the message of Jesus Christ, listen, cannot be accomplished by the flesh. The message of Jesus Christ doesn't go forward into the world and the world says, oh, I like that Christian bunch. Man, they got a hip message. They got the coolest music in town. They've got a preacher that just tells one joke after another, messages that we can just all like, things that tickle our ears, things that even shock us. Listen very carefully. The message of Jesus Christ is shocking, but listen, it's never crude. It's never sinful. And it's not about marketing. The message of Jesus Christ is not about trying to get people to like us. If we say a message and we get out there, you've heard this preach before, it's not about marketing, and you might say to yourself, well, what does that mean? Aren't we to use all means necessary to try to get the message of Jesus Christ out there? Aren't we trying to reach people? Absolutely. But listen, it's not about marketing. It's not about a show. In fact, it's not about shocking people. The message of Jesus Christ is not about commercial success. It's going to cost you. I looked up the word marketing. 
Here's what it says. Here's, a, here's one, one definition of marketing. The action or business of promoting and selling products. The action or business of promoting and selling products. Listen carefully. We're not in the business of selling anything. We're not in the business of saying messages that will just gather a crowd. In fact, if you want to preach the gospel, you might find yourself, as we saw last week, alone. Alone. And so this is a message that is to get out. It's a message for all people. But it's not a message that everyone's just going to go, that's great. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing stuff. We see from the very beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry what kind of kingdom he was leading. I'd, I'd like you to go with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter two. Let's look at verse uh, verse fourteen. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So, so listen. You're going to be like John the Baptist. You're going to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, you're going to smell like Christ. And everywhere you go, as, as someone who has been changed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to be walking around and people are going to say, that person's different. There's something different about that person. They're not the same. There's an atmosphere about them. They're they're, they're, they're spreading off a fragrance that is a, it's a spiritual fragrance. It's, it's, it's not just a regular fragrance. It's the fragrance of Jesus. Everywhere you go, if you, if you love Jesus, you're going to be giving off that, that aroma. The aroma of Christ. Now listen, notice what this aroma does, this, this fragrance. Verse 15 by the way, let's just say one other thing, too. This isn't just the preacher doing this, is, is, is it? It's like, it's every believer. We come into church. We hear the gospel message preached. And then this, this message goes out, and we are, as a body of believers, some of us are going to Nanticoke. Some of us are going over to Dallas, Tunkhannock, Wilkes-Barre. We're going all over the place, different parts of Pennsylvania. And as we heard, even different parts of the world. We're all being sent out with this aroma of, of Christ. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are be being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death. Listen, there's some people you're going to come in contact with. You're going to be like John the Baptist going to come into contact with Herod, and he's going to say, man, you, you, that, that is a stench. 
I can't stand being around you. I don't even like you. I don't even know why. I just don't like you. It's because they see Christ in you. And so if you're worried about just, I'm going to be, I'm going to follow Jesus and everyone's just going to see the love of Christ in me and everyone's just going to like me and everyone's just going to be happy that I'm around, there's a big, big red X over that thought. <clears throat> Not happening. To some people like John the Baptist, you get in Herod's face and listen, you are, you are the stench of death. Put him in prison. We don't like him. In fact, Jesus said this. He said it very clearly. He said, woe, woe to you when all men speak well of you. When everyone's saying, that, that, that's, just, that's just the greatest person in the world. Listen to this, verse 16. To others a fragrance from life to life. So as we come out, we're not crude, we're not abrasive, we're not rude. We don't say things in shocking ways to just shock people, to draw a crowd. We just preach Jesus. As broken people ourselves who are utterly lost. Not in an arrogance or a pride of, I know better. Look, it's just like, hey, I've, I've come to Christ. He's forgiven me and washed me clean. You can know him too. And listen, to some people that's going to be an odor. But to other people, it's going to be the fragrance of life. You mean no matter what you've done in your life, Christ can forgive you and set you free? Yes. You mean no matter what I've done, he can wash and cleanse? Yes. That's the fragrance of, of life. Who is sufficient, Paul asks, for these things? Verse 17. Now here it is. For we are not like so many. Marketeers. That's what he's saying here. Listen. Marketeers or peddlers. That is, we have nothing to sell. We're not peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak Christ. That's it. Just called to speak Christ, to be a light, to be life everywhere that we go, to speak words of truth in love. And sometimes it's going to cost us greatly. And sometimes, like John the Baptist, you end up isolated and you end up in prison. Isn't that amazing? God can use us anywhere. In fact, sometimes the will of God is to put us in places like a prison. But God, we want to be out there. We want, you know, the crowds. And God says, no, I want, listen, I want you alone. How can you use me? You think John the Baptist had any idea that 2,000 years later there'd be a little church in Wilkes-Barre reading about him in prison? And so he's in prison. He's told Herod, you can't have your brother's wife. He's sitting there and he's thinking to himself, 
What is going on here? In fact, he's starting to wonder, why, why am I in so much trouble? Maybe you've been there. You're a Christian, you've received Jesus Christ, things are going well, and what I've noticed in Christianity, there seems to be the diaper stage of Christianity. The diaper stage of Christianity where it's just like everything's working out, you know, you, 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 you open the mailbox and there's a check for the, for the gas bill. Praise the Lord. Amen. And you go to the refrigerator and someone had snuck in your house in the middle of the night and they had shopped at Wegmans all night and you open the refrigerator door and there it is, groceries for the next two weeks. And God spends time in, in the diaper stage just burping us and, and patting us and encouraging us. And just, go, 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 be, 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 be. You know, that's what he's doing. Aren't you cute? Here it comes. And he's doing the airplane thing with the food and all that. Just wonderful. And then we start to grow up. John's dunking people in the water. You can see him singing, dunking another one. Come on down. Come on. Next thing he knows, he's in prison. Trouble. If you're a Christian, you're going to be called to trouble because you have to get out of the diaper stage. And so there's this point where God takes us from here and he begins to change us and transform us to where we get a little bit stronger. And now in our late 30s, we don't need someone spoon-feeding us anymore. Wouldn't that be odd? I went over and had dinner with the Johnsons. You should have seen Crystal with that spoon with Jacob. I mean, it was weird. It was weird. That's how he still eats. Strange family. And John the Baptist in, is in prison and he is struggling. Listen how bad he's struggling. He's struggling to wonder to the point of where he's wondering, did I get this all right? Or did I get it wrong? And if you're, if you're a Christian, you just go, listen, I'm just, I'm just so full of spirit. I've just never doubted in my life. It's just been perfect. It's just been one, one cloud of faith for my entire life. Like, dude, I've never doubted. Something's wrong. You're still wearing pampers. Because when you get out of that stage... Trouble comes. And if you're honest with yourself, there are times when you've said to yourself, did I get it wrong? Where's Jesus? Where's he at? Is this whole thing right? Maybe you've been too afraid to ever whisper that to anyone, but you know you've thought it. Listen, and so have I. And John the Baptist is in prison. There's an old um, slave uh, spiritual that the slaves would uh, sing. And you want to talk about a sad institution. 
know if you've ever thought about this before, but you know, we look back and we go, weren't, you know, the 1800s just wonderful, you know, the great, you know, America was so moral. I guess for some, can you imagine being a, a slave? But it's, it's amazing how, how many people in, in that day and in that trouble and in that awful place still knew Christ. Still were worshiping him. In fact, uh, some of the most beautiful old spirituals have come out of that, out of that era. And there's one that's called, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. You ever hear that? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Can you hear John the Baptist singing that in prison? I can. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Listen to what it says. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Listen, you're going to get to that point in your life if you haven't already been there. We're going to say, even my closest friends, like the psalmist says, he says about his family, even my family stands aloof. You're going to get to that point. And you're going to be saying this to yourself. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. Sometimes I'm up. And sometimes I'm down. Oh, yes, Lord. Sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Oh, yes, Lord. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. That's called worshiping in the trouble. Jesus loves that kind of song. And that's exactly what John the Baptist is experiencing here. He is experiencing great trouble. In fact, if you go to Psalm chapter 34, Psalm chapter, Psalm chapter 34, Psalm chapter 34, verse. Nineteen, Psalm 34, verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I want you to go over to Luke chapter 7 because we actually see what's going on here with John in Luke chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 7, verse 18, Luke 7, verse 18, John's in prison, that's what our text says, he's in trouble, his message has cost him something, Luke 7, verse 18, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, 
Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? That's low. I want you to understand something. There are, there are interpreters who look at this message and they go, well, John wasn't really asking the question. He, like, he was asking it for his disciples. Like, they were struggling. Or John was doing fine. He just was kind of wondering, like, you know, he just needed kind of a reaffirmation here, but he was still doing great in his faith. That's not the text we read here. That's not what's going on here. This isn't just John going, I know you guys are weak in your faith, so why don't you go ahead and go ask Jesus this question. It's all about you guys. You guys are really struggling. I'm doing fine. It's not what's going on. And John isn't like, I've got everything worked out. I just need a, you know, just a, little, a, a, just a little extra detail here. On, 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 on a, no, no, no. This is John struggling. This is John doubting. This is John in the midst of, of going from preaching at the heights, baptism, the Holy Spirit, he's the one. I hear the, I, I hear the voice of the Father. The, the Spirit comes down like a dove. Isn't that amazing? You can go from that point, mighty man, strong, to all of a sudden you're over in prison. And it's amazing what prison will do. You're sitting there, and this isn't like one of our prisons. Like, he's not flicking through cable. And he's going, did I get this wrong? I believe, but I'm struggling. Now, Warren Wiersbe says something beautiful. He says there's a, there's a difference between unbelief and doubt. John was not unbelieving. He still believed fully in Christ. Unbelief is where someone comes to us with the gospel. We go, we don't want that. We don't believe that. I don't want that. That just this hardness of heart that says, I don't, I don't see that. I don't believe that. I don't want that. Get, get that away from me. That's unbelief. Doubt is what Christians go through when they're going, I really believe. I'm just struggling. Lord, I believe in you, but I don't get what's going on here. Lord, I don't understand the plan because I read in Isaiah, you're going to set the prisoner free. I'm sitting in prison. See, what John the Baptist is doing is he's saying, I've been preaching. I know it was true that Jesus Christ is going to bring judgment. He's going to bring fire. He's been preaching a baptism, not only of the spirit, but of, of fire. I know, that, I know he's going to bring judgment. He's setting the prisoner free, but I'm sitting in prison and I don't see any judgment going on. In fact, it seems like the marketeers are doing a great job. It seems like the people in power don't even know Christ. They're getting stronger. I'm wondering what's going on. I don't get it. Which means that there are times where we think a certain way about Christ. We have our expectations of him. And yet the plan of God is drastically different. We still believe in him. You can hear his heart. There's a, there's a yearning there. I, I know I got this right, but I'm, Lord, I'm doubting struggling. Can I ask you uh, just uh, today, um, 
Has everything in your life turned out the way you thought it would turn out? In fact, can I suggest to you that the longer you grow in Christ, maturity begins to mellow a person and you begin to realize, well, if I don't, if, if I used to think, you know, I have these 20, 20 boxes checked and then everything goes like this. And all of a sudden you realize that's not the way it goes, even if you seem to know A through Z. I want you to notice what goes on here in Luke 7. So he sends these, these guys. Should we look for another? Verse 21, Jesus, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. He says, look, he does all these miracles, and he says to his disciples, now go back, and you tell John what's going on. From Isaiah. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. You know what he's saying? He's, he's mildly correcting John here. He's saying this. He's saying, John, stick with it. Don't get offended by me. You're in a danger zone. And perhaps some of you are in a danger zone this morning. You've come to questions in your life, and Jesus would say to you, listen, don't stumble. Don't just say, well, I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm just going to give in to whatever I want. This isn't working out. The plan of Christ in my life is sure not what I expected. So, well, I just guess I'll just go ahead and blow it all. May I encourage you this morning, don't get offended over Christ and his plan in your life. Don't blow it. Now we close with this. The Lord preserves him and protects him. Jesus says that he will never let those who are in his hand out of his hand. But in this we see, as we close, the fading of John. John is fading from the scene. That's what he preached. He must increase, I must decrease. He's a man of prayer. We know that from Luke 11 where Jesus' disciples, listen to this, they, they came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray like John's disciples, like he taught them. He was a man of prayer. But he wasn't a man of signs and wonders. The scripture tells us that. He wasn't Benny Hinn. You know what he had? The truth. I can see those disciples coming back to him and saying, John, it's all okay. You should see what we saw. He is the one. You know it. We know it. Keep going, man.
Keep going. And the Lord would say to you this morning, don't go in your own strength. Look to the man of sorrows who bore it for you. You go in him. You go in him. I'd like to close with prayer. Would you stand with me as the, as the band comes?